I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Wow. Nice. Yeah. What you're hearing are the sounds of people everywhere putting on Bomba socks, underwear, and T-shirts made from absurdly soft materials that feel like plush clouds. Yeah, that plush. And the best part? For every item you purchase, Bombas donates another to someone facing homelessness. Bombas, big comfort for everyone. Go to bombas.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. That's bombas.com slash ACAST, code ACAST. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Welcome to Wood Talk for woodworkers by woodworkers. Now here are three guys who have great personalities. Mark, Matt, and Shannon. All right, it's Wood Talk number 297 for February 29th, 2016. On today's show, hey, we're doing a leap year show today, aren't we? Yes, we are. 29, nice. That's pretty cool. Welcome. Very nice. Uh, It's kind of like a little bonus thing, sort of, not really. Uh, On today's (laughs) show, we're talking about cutting a juice groove in a cutting board, planers and pine, benchtop mortisers, power carving tools for bowls, and our strategies for dealing with squeeze out. All that and more coming up. But first, let's hear a quick word from our sponsor, Brusso Hardware. Brusso Hardware provides high quality American made woodworking hardware for furniture, cabinets, boxes, and more. Wood Talk listeners can use coupon code WoodTalk, that's W O O D T A L K, for 10% off your first order at Brusso.com. And head over there, take advantage of that sale because that stuff is high quality. You definitely want some of that in your shop. Stock up, in fact, on your first purchase. It's a good idea. Buy 12 of them. Yes, they would love that. That'd be great. Even better, 13. Yes, a baker's dozen <laughs> of hardware. Odd numbers of hedges are always fun. Yes. Uh, and we'd also like to thank a few special folks who helped us out with monetary donations directly. That's out of your pocket and into ours. We appreciate that. Uh, Grant Paris, Scott McWilliams, John Villwald, Owen Carroll. Thank you so much. And if you want to help out too, you can go to woodtalkshow.com. Look for those donation links in the side column. And it's a good way to help us out and help us keep the show going. We certainly appreciate it. And we will read your name at the top of the show, just like we did for Grant, Scott, John, and Owen. And you'll be one of the famous people. What's that? Mark will read your name. We won't do anything. Well, listen, (laughs) Mark will read it. I'll read it. These two just sit here. Are we recording? Two bumps on a log doing nothing. (laughs) Lazy. (laughs) All right, let's get into what's on the bench. Speaking of doing nothing, uh, actually, not too bad. I finished my bed, and now I'm sleeping on it. So that's cool. Uh, it still has a little little bit of a residual odor, which is kind of sometimes obnoxious, but uh, it's not too bad. Um, it, I did let it cure for uh, like three or four days before bringing it in, um, but ultimately pretty happy with it. Um, the thing is, my bed doesn't actually even, it's, it's totally just for looks, because my bed doesn't even touch this frame. 
So it's been designed in such a way that someone could, of course, put a box spring and a mattress on a supported frame in there, but my bed itself is on its own stand, doesn't even touch the side rails or the headboard <laughs> or footboard. <laughs> so it's just kind of sitting in the middle. Um, so I was able to kind of cheap out in, in my personal construction of it. But you know what? The plans, I put a basic support system in there so that people who do have box spring and mattress uh, that need like full support, uh, they've got an idea of what they can do. Just a quick suggestion that I put in there. So that's done. Feeling good about that. Uh, and had two really awesome woodworking related experiences with my son. Now he's, uh, just turned four, not too long ago. And he's very aware that dad has a shop and he always wants to go to the shop, but primarily because there's drums in there. Uh, so, <laughs> so he likes to, he likes to run around and scare the crap out of me. Yeah. He's not a four year old boy. No. Right. So, uh, so he wants to play those drums and it, it's, it's interesting cause he knows I do build things. So like when the bed was done, I'm like, Hey, Hey buddy, come check out the bed that dad, he's like, you built this, you know? So he's always amazed for about five seconds. Uh, but I never really felt he understood exactly what I did. So I picked him up from school the other day and he goes to this little toy that they have where you drop a ball in the top and it's kind of like those little marble things that just go from one layer, uh, one level to the next and it drops down into a little trough at the bottom. Super simple, but they're like big racquetball sized balls. So he runs over, he's like, daddy, look at this. He goes, can you make this for me? And I was like, that is so cool that instead of saying, daddy, can we buy one of these, you know, or can we take this one home? He says, daddy, can you make this for me? And it was wow. just, it was just kind of the, anarchist in training as Shores would say. Right. To, to recognize that this thing is made from wood material. You know, he's not, it's not like he's looking at some kind of piece of electronics and saying, daddy, can you make this for me? Um, but he recognized that this is something that daddy could make for him and asked. I'm like, well, of course now we have to, <laughs> like, as the first thing you've ever asked me for directly, how can we not make this thing? <laughs> uh, so that was pretty cool. And then we came home and went to the park. He picked up a stick and started calling it a sword. And I said, son, that is no sword. We will go home and we will make you a proper sword, my friend. Uh, Did you so, say it with an Australian accent? I, That's not a that sword. That is not a sword. That's a sword. So yeah, I took him in the shop, uh, did all the bandsaw cutting, but had him help me with the shaping and made him his own very like Zelda link sort of very fat, broad blade, but tiny sword. <laughs> so, uh, so we made this little sword in the shop together and it was great. And it just like all of a sudden this like flood of my son recognizing what we can do together in the shop, uh, which hasn't really happened yet. Uh, so very, very excited about that. It's good stuff. That's, that's, that's coming awesome. Cremona. That's awesome. That yeah, I can't wait. Like in about a year. How old is he now? He's less than one, right? Yeah, probably a yeah. year. He'll be like, Daddy, let's cut some slabs. Yeah. Push that chainsaw <laughs> for you, Daddy. <laughs> That'd be great. You just hang him on one end, you know, tie his arm to it. You hold the other end. It'll <laughs> be good. So anyway, that's about what's uh, going on with me. But uh, speaking of Matt, what's going on in your world? Over in my workshop, I got nothing going on really in there. I finished up the sofa table build like a week and a half ago or something like that. Mm -hmm. So there's not a whole lot going on in the shop. That's kind of nice. It gives me time to kind of clean up and maybe try and organize a little more. That's something I like to do between projects is just kind of, you know, pick something to organize in the shop, maybe yeah. create some kind of new storage solution for out there. Sure. Um, because, you know, the shop's always this evolving thing. I didn't just like, you know, start the shop one day and like build a bunch of cabinets and have all the storage stuff already there. It was like, here's a garage space, and just dump all your crap in there and start working. Yeah. So as, as I go, I try and do at least something to organize things a little more, because a lot of things I have in my shop don't have anywhere to go. So that's kind of what's going on. Yeah. Here I kind of feel that same way, man. Just as I finish this bed, I'm like, well, I've got a little bit of breathing room here. I need a, a miter 
area, like for a miter saw mm -hmm. um, thing. I need uh, need something to put my lathe tools on to put them on the wall so they were kind of out of the way. I need like I've got sandpaper <laughs> sleeves, just like all these. It's been on my to do list for I think ten years now, <laughs> right? And they're just they're laying in a, like just laying on the bottom uh, shelf that's on my lathe that goes between the legs. It's just laying down there. I'm like I could I could probably do better than this. You're doing better than me. I just I did a project on the lathe this weekend, and all the tools were laying on the infeed table of my planer. Oh, there you go. <laughs> it's like that's definitely yeah, the best place for this. Them. Is not sustainable. <laughs> yeah, not long term. Uh, how long? I'm curious, Matt. Typically, how long do you usually find yourself waiting uh, in this sort of break uh, time period between projects? Uh, I guess it depends. Maybe like a week or two. Um, I usually, I'm usually pretty anxious to get back into something else Yeah, and it depends on how distracting the shop storage project is. Oh, they could be a mess though. <laughs> That's the problem. Like once you get yeah. started, it's like, uh, I've got a few that I never finished. That's like the things yeah. like I built a, a desk thing for the back wall underneath my tool cabinet I, and I got the, the drawers built and I never put the face frames on it or put like the door on the little computer area either mm -hmm. because I'm like, Oh, look, there it is. I didn't have a top <laughs> on it either for it's a long functional. time. Like, Good enough. Functional. Good to go. Next, please. <laughs> Dude, every every picture in the hybrid woodworking book has my cabinets behind me with no doors or drawers. <laughs> and it, there, well, it's was just like two years, wasn't it? It was a long time. <laughs> I took a while to get that done. Uh, but yeah, I felt bad after I looked at the pictures. I'm like, oh, that kind of looks like crap. <laughs> I should have probably done that. Finish that up. Uh, but Shannon, what about you? What's going on? Uh, I finished a uh, second campaign stool this weekend. Nice. So my uh, my commitment to this gift that I'm giving my uh, father-in-law is is done. But um, fortunately, I did decide to, when I bought the hardware from Lee Valley, when I bought the leather from Texas Heritage Woodworks, I went ahead and bought three because I thought, you know, I'm going to want one of these. I don't want to build all these gifts and give this stuff away. But now that I'm done those two, I'm kind of like, yeah, I'll build one for myself later. So I know that like five years from now. <laughs> <laughs> we'll be listening to Wood Talk. Yeah, I finally got around to building that stool for myself. <laughs> I, I don't know. I'm so ADD, I guess, when it comes to these things. Yeah. I will never make it as like a, a woodworker that has to mass produce stuff. Right. Because it's like, I did that. I'm ready to move on to something else. I mean, the second one, I think I built what? I built the first one in in one shop session. So it was probably, I don't know, all told, probably about four hours, mm -hmm. just kind of you know, messing around, no big hurry. Second one I did over the course of four days, granted maybe a couple hours at a time, but it was easily two or three times longer to build the second one. And that doesn't mean I, I mean, I filmed the second one, so that helps a little bit, but the actual woodworking time was so much longer. Cause I just didn't want to do it. Yeah. <laughs> it's just like, I already did this. I don't need to do this again. So yeah, I'm just not cut out for, uh, for mass production work, I think no uh, no craft show circuit for you. No, and that's probably why because I did that and it was awful. Yeah, and I just don't want to do that again. I'll tell oh. you, it looks good, man. They they look fantastic. Now, is it comfortable? Very. It seems actually. like it would be. Yeah, I mean, it it always seems weird to have you know a saddle style thing where you've got this kind of piece sticking up, you know, <laughs> where the uh, the the fiddly bits are. Um, but uh, it's 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 very comfortable. Um, it's a little low for me. Yeah. So I think I might make mine a little bit taller. But you also run into some proportional issues. If I made it too much taller, a you've got a little bit more stress on those thin legs. So I might want to beef up the leg a little. But it's just cool. And you know the 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 leather work that. 
um, Texas Heritage does is just beautiful. It was cool brass really hardware well and everything. It's got this very <clears throat> British. I mean, it, it's campaign furniture. It just immediately speaks to. I need to have you know some Sherpa carrying it around for me, some some local indigenous uh, native that I'm oppressing in my imperialistic <laughs> ventures. Yeah. Need to have them carry it around for me. Right. Yeah, it's it's going to be awesome. I, I built them specifically for basically my in-laws, but I'm giving them to my father-in-law as a gift because they have at their their house up in Maine. They actually their land extends out to this this point. It's all rocky and everything. It's like the perfect place to go out and experience the typical Maine rocky coastline. But there's nothing down there. There's no place to sit, and the, the the rock is way too uneven to put like Adirondack chairs or something. So they basically just go and plop down on the rock. And this is just kind of the perfect thing. They can throw over their shoulders, walk down to the rocks, and they've got their stools to sit there. So nice. yeah, I'm I'm gonna win some points in the in laws. Can you uh, can you fit both thighs in one area? Because when I first looked at it, the scale might be a little off for me visually in the pictures. So I was thinking, oh, I would put my butt toward the hump in the back and put my legs. But I guess you'd have to have really skinny yeah. legs to fit between there. Yeah, it's the other way around. The, okay. You you position it so that, you know, the the one hump comes up in between the legs and your legs yeah. go out each side. At least this way your boys are protected while you're sitting down. That's true. <laughs> right? You Unless got a little you don't guard make there. it properly and the and the stuff snaps and yeah. you end up with a splintery end in the back. Hey-o. Well, we'll trust. No, I mean, it's it's a fantastic project. I said it. Cool. I just released the video today, and I said it at the end of the video. It's a really good project for like a beginning turner because it it it's really easy. It's first of all, it's three legs. So if you're worried about duplicating things, most projects require four legs. This is only three. You only <laughs> have to duplicate it twice. Um, it's it's simple, you know. But as a beginning turner, there's some real fundamental things like getting a consistent diameter cylinder is actually probably one of the first things you should master, if you will, as a turner, because sure. it's kind of where a lot of stuff starts. Coming up with a with a kind of a subtle taper, doing a bead for the foot and doing little decorative grooves. It's all very fundamental skills. And um, you know, but but not in like a really intimidating type project with beads and coves and all this stuff. So it seems like you could dress it up as much as you want. Or, oh, as, yeah, or as little yeah, as you want. Very much a blank slate type project. You know what it looks like, man? They look like drumsticks for giants. <laughs> Yes. <laughs> right. It, like an upside down drumstick. That's very cool. Well, good deal. Let's, you know, I was thinking when we talk about projects like this for now on, we should probably make an effort to put the uh, pictures of these things in the wood talk show notes, just so we people have some kind of frame of reference. So let's do that for my okay. bed, for your thing, for Matt, you know, the sofa table. Um, all three of us have completed projects to post. So hey, yeah, that's cool. Yeah, let's do that. Um, Our cycles have aligned. Yes, they have. We're like a, a bunch of women, uh, like a yep. little sorority living together. That's nice. Um, all right. What's new? <laughs> Got a couple things here for you. Quite a few, actually. First one is from, who is he? Billy Edwards. He says, living in eastern Washington, I've passed by this mill dozens of times, but had no idea. This amazing video of what goes into producing our lumber couldn't have been possible years ago without the technology of drones. Uh, so it's a nice YouTube video. We'll embed it for you. But one of those just beautiful videos that shows lumber being processed. Very cool. Oh, I'm totally getting a drone for the lumber yard now. Yes. <laughs> right? That's your job, right? Marketing something, something. Yeah. Don't you have to well, register those that, things now, though? Yeah, that's a big pain in the. Yeah, back. that's true. Well, I don't know. On the clock. That's the problem. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know that I want the FAA up in my business. <laughs> uh, this week, Veritas announced that they're updating their small plow plane with a new depth stop. Yay! One that won't slip. Hopefully, it's got a corrugated. Finally, that uh, thing slips way too easily. I know. 
and they are releasing beating blades. Um, but the catch is that it requires a modification to the skate in order to get the wider blade to work. They have to remove a bit of the toe, I think. If I, uh, I don't know, I was watching Vic Tesselin, the minimalist woodworker. I was watching him his video for Veritas. Mm-hmm. It looks like they grind away part of the skate or something like that. So huh. you can, of course, if you buy a plow plane, this is what you get going forward. But if you currently have one, like a lot of people, because it's a very popular tool, you can send it back in and they will make the modifications or you can just buy the depth stop. And um, I want to say it's like $59 for the modification. But um, the cool part is, is like you, you buy this and they send you like the custom box with the postage paid like label on it and everything. So they send you the box and your plow plane, it's French fit type thing. It just drops in and you send it off and they take care of it. You know, people are going, what do you mean 59 bucks? I'm pretty certain that Veritas is probably just breaking even on this. Yeah, but you know you what? Know? This is something that no other company would give a crap about. Um, yeah. Their customer service is second to none. I've had things like this with their uh, router plane where they've made changes or updates. And sometimes they send stuff that I didn't even ask for. It's like, Oh, we changed this because it works better. Here you go. Uh, or, yeah. or yeah, you they can get the new router plane depth stop just for free. Yeah. Oh, well not, I mean, you have to request it. Um, but like I, I went in and placed an order and it was like a zero dollar, whatever in the shopping cart. Um, I think in this particular instance, they've got to cover, you know, labor. There's a time. lot going on for that. Yeah. It's just not a part they're sending you. So they got to do something, right. but geez, that, that they're awesome. I love their customer service. But just the fact that there's ongoing R and D going on, on their tools. Yeah. I mean, this is a tool that's been out for what? Seven years, yeah. eight years. Right. Um, and they're still, you know, either listening to feedback because we've all said, Hey, that depth stop is slippery. You got to fix that. Um, but they didn't just stop there pun intended. They went further. <laughs> now they have these beating planes, which I don't know. I don't know if that I'm going to go for the beating blades just because I've got a, you know, a set of molding planes and everything, but yeah. I'm definitely jumping on the actually have already dumped, jumped on the depth stop thing. So. Well, and speaking of upgrades to their uh, tools and things that have been around for a long time, your next thing and what's new actually touches on that as well, but we'll uh, get to that in a minute. <laughs> Gosh, such a sure? I'm teasing. I'm making sure they <laughs> stick around for 30 more seconds. Yeah. This next one is from Brandon. He said he found this through Reddit. He doesn't know if he's seen any of his videos before, but amazing craftsmanship. Love the show. This is a bunch of videos over on, oh, where are we here? Where is this? Patek? Patek.com? Patek? 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 I don't know. Anyway, it's like, uh, well, we got like six videos, all on different crafts. There's one on marquetry, gem setting, uh, chair making, hmm. engraving, things like that. Really awesome, you know, fancy videos of people making really uh, intricate and fancy stuff. What's going on with his website? Kind of weird. He's cutting cutting off half a column of text. Unless that's just in Firefox. Maybe it's a... Oh, wait. You have to like click and you can scroll to the left and right. They're tabs, I think. Yeah. Oh, yeah. It's just previewing the next column over. Okay. That's my bad. It's really not. It's not the same thing until I start clicking. (laughs) That's not your bad. That's called bad design. I'm being nice. Don't (laughs) offend them. We don't know who they are. They might come after us. You never know. Yeah, they might DDoS our website. It's happened. Uh, right. Next one here is oh, who's oh? I put this in here. Doi, <laughs> the maker. Anyone see this? It was uh, this is old by the time we're talking about it now. Uh, it's one of those funny videos. Uh, it's uh, on Vimeo, of course, which is where you see the thing that this is making fun of. 
Uh, so you typically see these really just overly dramatic videos of makers making things. And, you know, to be honest, not all of them are great things from people, but they're very passionate about those things that they make. And the videos really show that. So this is one of those tongue in cheek videos that really highlights some of the absurdity that, that can be seen out there. Uh, but in a very funny, funny way. And, uh, this is apparently about a guy who just makes toast. And I believe we've talked about with, uh, Matt V, um, artisanal toast and jellies in the past has been like an ongoing, uh, joke for us. Yeah. So this, like this ties into that perfectly. So you got to watch the whole thing. It's really freaking funny. And there's just one point where he just looks at the camera and they do this, like, focus fade where he's holding the bread in the foreground, the toast in the foreground and, they like, <laughs> and he fades into the background out of focus. Uh, and then at one point he just says, respect the bread. <laughs> like this is just genius. So I love that. You know, the firewood one, we've talked about that one in the past yep. too, the artisanal firewood. These are becoming now a thing. Making fun of that trend is now a trend in and of itself, which is very fun to watch. So yeah, check it out. We'll, uh, we'll embed that for you too. I've got to go watch that because for some reason I thought I had already watched this. Oh, you haven't seen it yet? It's good. The one that I thought I saw was serious. So it's definitely not the same one. (laughs) He gets into a shop. He takes off a plaid jacket to reveal a plaid shirt of the same exact pattern and color under it. (laughs) It's great. (laughs) Hey, there's a, there's a marketing campaign out there now uh, about like the whole lumber sexual trend. Oh, really? Oh man. I can't remember who the brand is. It's not a small, it's a big brand and it's like, you know, they, they give somebody oh, a tool it's and like say, a, Hey, isn't cross it like cut a, this saw cross cut this log and the oh, guy can't move the saw or whatever. And I like, shared <laughs> that. It's like a, is it a hotel or something that's doing it? I, yeah. To- like totally that. unrelated to the topic. Or, right. Right. It's like that old, um, you remember that old like Japanese video with like the, the ball dropping in the forest and it's like playing this song it comes to the end and it's like a cell phone video. You're yeah. Like, and, you, and you ask people afterwards if they even know what product they just saw an ad for and they're like, Nope. <laughs> No right. idea. But yeah, I mean, it, there is a lot of making fun going on of, of the, the hipster kind of lumber sexual maker movement, which is, which oh, is fun. It's not know, a, it's not a it. hotel. It's Dinty Moore. Dinty Moore. Oh. That's right. Yeah. <laughs> it's a big brand. You yeah. Know? Flipping soup people. <laughs> They're making fun of lumber sexuals. <laughs> All right. soup, anyway, stew. stew. I'm sorry. It's, it's, All right. it's so, soup. Okay. I got to eat, Mar- you know, <laughs> I grow that beard. That's right. Mark teased this earlier, so this is coming into us from Jason. He says, I'm writing in the comment on the side-clamping narrow blade holder for the Veritas, Veritas MK2. I just got mine, and let me say it works flawlessly. I was having all of the goofy bevel problems with the traditional head due to the different thicknesses of my chisels from one side to another. This new jig has fixed all of that. I've also stopped using the micro bevel feature altogether, as that was slightly flawed as well. Now I use the one sixteenth inch shim in conjunction with the registration jig. Let me tell you, best jig ever. Love the show, guys. Miss Matty B, but I've been following the new Matt for some time, and I think he's a great addition to the show. Well, that's right. nice of you to say, oh, wow. Jason. He's all right. And this this is good because, gosh, it was, what, five or six shows that we kept getting kickback on the MK2? Yep. Lots of people out there having problems with it. So here's another example where Veritas was listening, and they came up with a solution for you. I got to look into that. I'm curious, since it is a narrow blade holder, so it's uh, probably doing something from the sides to help with the reference, how yeah, much it capacity? Is, it is a side clamp. So how much, I'm wondering how much capacity that has. What can I do all of my chisels with that and just maybe not my plane blades with it? I'll have to look into that. 
I don't know, because I would like to address that if possible. Uh, yeah. By the way, if we say MK2, we're going to get kicked back. Someone's going to remind us that it's Mark II. Oh. <laughs> don't ask me why I know that, because I've been corrected multiple times. All right. Well, he lost me at, at Honing Guide and Shin. That's right. <laughs> he's below you anyway. He's beneath <laughs> Shannon at this point, so it doesn't matter. <laughs> uh, very nice. All right. Chris shared a service called Part Pick, where you can identify replacement parts based on a picture you take of it. I haven't tried this, but it looks like it'd be super sweet. If it works, right? <laughs> if it works, yeah. I mean, literally just, here's, I need this part. Let me take a picture of it. And I guess it just gives you the the actual, like, replacement part number and the, you can buy it or whatever. It'll be yeah. interesting to see, like, how big is this database? Like, what, uh, how specific I, I can you get? I think I would, like, reverse use this, where you, know, you dump out that coffee can full of parts and just start taking pictures to go, what did this come from? <laughs> I have no idea where this bolt, well, that happens to. bolt. Where, yeah, should I, I be a lot sticking of it somewhere? Yeah, you ever find just a little uh, bolt or nut or something on the ground? You're like, I have no idea what this just came off of. <laughs> And I'm, ta- I'm, I'm talking like to in the house. Any of my tools until yeah. then. There you go. Yeah, oh, very cool. Uh, okay, let's get into our kickback. We got a couple of voicemail kickbacks to get us started here. One from Nate talking about the snipe kickback issue we discussed recently. Hey, Wood Talk guys, this is Nate. I called uh, last week about snipe, and you referred me to episode um, 52, where you talked about different things to try on my thickness planer. So I'm using my Dewalt 735. Um, and the magic trick it actually worked was lifting up on the boards front and back um, as it went in. I tried again this weekend with some big, heavy oak that was cut with a chainsaw. So I was doing a lot of uh, planing, getting it to thickness, and it totally worked. I had to lift up a lot uh, front and back. And that's my daughter, and she's hungry. Thanks a lot, guys. <laughs> that's a classic. I'm hungry. <laughs> Perfect. All right. Thanks for that, Nate. And uh, go feed your daughter. Poor girl. Uh, so there you go. Snipe lifting up uh, the trick you guys mentioned in the past that works for some people. Looks like it worked for Nate. Good deal. Uh, next one here is from Jason. He's got an update on crib hardware. Got to be honest, I have no idea when we discussed this. He he mentions this show. I think it was a while ago. Hi, guys. It's Jason Kogel, OCD woodworker from Cheshire, Connecticut. And this is some kickback from episode, I believe, 294. Somebody asked about hardware for a crib. Is it strong or not? And I did build a convertible crib, and I used quarter-by-twenty Allen bolts going into brass threaded inserts, and it is super strong. There's two on each corner, and um, the one piece of advice I would offer is when, when you buy those, some of them have a slot that it looks like you could use a flathead screwdriver to drive them in. Um, it does not work. Uh, the way I would recommend doing it is uh, have a um, quarter 20 bolt with a nut, thread the nut up on to the bolt, thread the bolt into the threaded insert, and then lock the nut down onto it, and then use the bolt to drive the threaded insert in. But before you do it, also make sure to chamfer the hole because those inserts, um, in my case anyway, it did cause a splinter, um, a pretty pretty big splinter on one of the holes. So, um, as far as uh, the strength, my nephew's mother was asked if he's shaking his crib yet, which I guess is part of a child's development. And uh, the doctor asked her, and um, she said, you, you don't understand. He's not going to shake this crib. So, and she's right. It's uh, very sturdy. So anyway, hope that helps. And 
keep up good work with the show and baba booey to y'all. Baba booey, yes. Uh, that is a pain in the butt, those threaded inserts. Uh, I've, I've done it with a screwdriver, and if you don't get just the right placement on there, it just kind of falls right out of the position there. So good tip. Uh, okay, cool. So, uh, Shannon, you got the next one. Okay. <clears throat> this comes from Josh, and he says, and I quote, how does Shannon coat his horse butt? Yeah, with his hands. <laughs> hobo, hobo. I was wondering what side of the strap you apply the honing compound to, the rough side or the smooth side? Uh, the answer is I apply it to the rough side. And um, I've previously never done anything with the smooth side. It's just the back side. Why, why bother? But I'd actually heard the other day about using the smooth side without compound as kind of that last little swipe. Um, so I just started doing that. So I, I've got a, uh, what is it? Chromium oxide, the green stuff, little green crayon on the, the rough side. And I do all my stropping there. Once I'm done, I flip it over to that smooth side and I just take like one pass on the bevel and one pass on the back. I'm just kind of curious. It's supposedly it's like going up in grits or something like that. So, uh, as I've only had the horse butt strop for what, two or three weeks now, um, it's a little inconclusive at this point, but um, supposedly that's a thing. <laughs> use the smooth side without uh, abrasive. Sure. Cool. I only use a smooth side. Take that for what it's worth. Okay, then. There you go. <laughs> yeah, but are your, are your tools sharp? Uh, I don't know. You tell me. <laughs> I only use the smooth side. I've got dull tools, but I only use the smooth side. <laughs> they don't cut, but hey, you know, doing what I'm doing. I'm rubbing it. I don't know what's going on. <laughs> All right, this next one comes from Kevin. He says, it's a quick tip for Scott, who was using construction lumber. I think this is from like last episode or maybe two episodes ago or something like that. I found that if you get a 10-inch or 12-inch wide lumber, you avoid the small tree problem you guys noted. But more importantly, you can use your rip them down to get quarter saw material, which is, more, uh, which is much more stable. Thanks to Shannon for its explanation of starting a cut with a handsaw. It really helped. Thanks to Mark for all the content you've put out over the years. It has really inspired me. Thanks to new Matt for being the face of all his backyard chainsaw mill guys. Cool. Well, you're uh, welcome. Boom. Something for everybody. It would talk. That is, <laughs> that's what we try to do at least. Uh, all right. Next one here is, uh, from what's his name? Ray. He says, helpful tip. Use wood talk as a parenting tool. Uh, every Friday, I take my four-year-old out to dance class immediately after getting home from work. She generally despises putting her tights on and getting ready to go. So it's usually a frantic, tear-filled struggle to get out the door. L- let me tell you, the whole thing about parenting and like getting your kids to do things they love and you have to work to get them to do it, that's stupid. I hate that. Like, it, And it's un- unavoidable. But it, I, like, I totally sympathize with what, what he's going through with these tights. Oh, man, fantastic. Anyway, last week I told her that if we got dressed without whining, we could play a word game that she likes to play in the truck on the way to dance. Offer denied. Then I had a light bulb moment. I said, okay, well, if you don't get dressed without whining, we are listening to Wood Talk the whole way to dance. <laughs> she scowled at me, screamed, no, bolted to her room, grabbed her tights, and was ready to go faster than I thought was possible. And I couldn't stop laughing. So congratulations. You guys are now my number one parenting tool and my number one favorite podcast. I love that. You know what? You That's always fantastic. need leverage with your kids, right? There's got to be something you'd like have positive reinforcement and then something on the negative side that you have to pull out occasionally. And I'm, I'm proud to be that if, if that works. <clears throat> yes, Excuse absolutely. 
That's great. Good stuff. Uh, he did have a quick question. He said, I'm building small base cabinets that my wife is going to use as a dressing vanity. Uh, I want to use a wiping varnish to finish it, but I wasn't sure what sheen to use. Is there a standard for cabinets? Looking at the other cabinets in a house, it seems like they might be a satin or a semi-gloss, but I really have no idea. I'm going to say, just generally speaking, it's not going to be gloss for the most part. Um, and you might find a range of things. It kind of just depends on what you've got. But I think a safe bet would be to aim for uh, something in the satin family. Even se- semi-gloss might be a little bit too glossy um, if you're trying to put it next to some manufactured product. So I would say probably aim for that satin and you won't really, you shouldn't be disappointed with that. That's just my opinion. I don't know if you guys think differently about that, but I don't think anything that I've purchased manufactured ever had a, a high gloss finish on it. No, no. I think mean, you're right about that. Yeah, unless you specifically went out to some fancy place that has like a lacquered top or something and you were looking for that. But most stuff that we buy generally is going to, you know. That, that high glass takes a little more effort to make, you know. Exactly. Yeah. God forbid. <laughs> I mean, that's actually probably at the heart of it right there. Yeah. <laughs> exactly. Uh, all right. So quickly for our featured topic today, it's not a real deep one, but uh, it doesn't always have to be this. This is from Mark. He says, this may seem like woodworking 101, but my question is about gluing boards together. Do you recommend putting glue on both boards or just one? And how long do they need to be clamped together before I can scrape off the squeeze out? I know in about an hour is the best time to scrape off the glue, but I'm afraid to take the boards out of the clamps uh, to be able to scrape off the glue behind the clamps. Uh, Thank you for your thoughts on this. So I figured, you know, kind of go around. Hopefully we won't all have the same exact answer, but let's take it to a panel glue up. You're just putting two or three boards together for a nice wide panel. Uh, What's your process with reference to your glue squeeze out? Matt, you go first. Let's see here. So I put glue on one side usually, and mm-hmm. I rub them together to spread them around with two boards. I don't really, I have a brush that I could use if I wanted to to spread it out if I'm really getting that, I don't know, anal about it, but usually I just kind of rub them together, see how, pull them apart, see how well the, the rubbing has worked to spread the glue between them. And then when I clamp them up, I just clamp them enough to close the, um, the seams up until I see a nice bead of squeeze out, you know, however big that squeeze out might be depends on how much glue i put in there but usually i i've kind of figured out how much glue is enough to get like a minimum amount of squeeze out without a whole lot of waste Mm -hmm. a whole lot of mess um and then i'll scrape i'll scrape it off maybe whenever it starts really kind of tacking over maybe half an hour depending on depending on where it is in my shop and the time of year my assembly table is where i do all my glue up and my heater is right is is pointing basically at my assembly table Mm. so that glue will really um skim over pretty quickly so maybe half an hour scrape it off and then take it out of the clamps if i'm really in a rush i don't know 40 minutes but then i i won't do anything stressful to that glue up for a while anyway so unless i need the clamps or something there's no really no rush in my case most of the time sure okay cool shannon what about you anything different than that um, I don't really worry too much about squeeze out or cleaning up squeeze out. Um, most of the time these days I'm using high glue, which never really dries to that like crazy sharp nastiness. Mm-hmm. Um, but I will put glue on both faces. Um, I think the only time that I've ever deviated from that is if I got like a really intense glue up. Like, um, last time I did one of those cutting boards and yeah, you've got all yeah. those pieces of glue together. <clears throat> yep. I'm like, yeah, whatever. Not going to deal with that. One side's good enough. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um, but, uh, I will actually let it cure entirely. And then I use a number 80 cabinet scraper set pretty, uh, pretty heavy and just go over and clean off any squeeze out, um, that's been dried at that point mm-hmm. and move on. 
Cool, cool. Uh, I do something very similar to Cremona, though. I do typically put the glue on both sides if I can, uh, unless, like Shannon said, time requires otherwise. Um, you know, for me, it's very dry here. So within 15, 20 minutes, I could usually scrape that glue bead off without it spreading too much. Um, but I do find that, and I try to take the clamps off, like he's saying, it, it does create a problem because you don't want to loosen clamping pressure. But the key is if you've got, you know, let's say it's a small panel, you've got a few clamps on there, you could typically get away with taking one off and then scraping it real quick and then putting it back. Uh, and it doesn't really affect the total pressure on there. It's just, you know, it's not that big of a deal. So a lot of times that's exactly what I'll do. I'll put the panel, the whole set of clamps upright, loosen one, get behind it, scrape, put it back, tighten it, move to the next one and kind of work my way down. And that saves on a lot of not just dealing with the squeeze out and the stuff that can happen afterwards, but the staining that can occur between the glue and the, the you know, the, the metal of the clamp itself, uh, which is something you definitely want to avoid because those stains, especially if you're close to your finish thickness for your panel, those stains are a bear to actually get out. So um, a good idea to avoid them if possible. Cool. All right. Uh, let's move into our voicemail. Got two questions here. First one is from Paul. Hello, this is Paul Bean in Paulding County, Georgia. That's Dallas, Georgia. I just purchased an old Stanley number five bench plane, and the back handle needs a front screw. I was wondering if newer screws would fit. Thanks for the show, guys. I'm on number 44, so I have a lot to listen to. But it's great so far. <clears throat> so if he's on number 44, it's going to take him a while to hear this answer. <laughs> yeah. It's going to be quite and, some time. If if I answer this, he's going to be like, who the hell are you? I asked the yeah. Woodcock guys to answer this. Yeah, who's the Shannon guy? <laughs> What's going on? I think. I don't that guy sounds good now. Yeah. When did I join this show? Like episode 60 something, didn't yeah. I? I don't know. Forever ago. I don't know. It was a while ago. <laughs> um, I honestly don't know the answer to this. Um, yeah. I would imagine they would. They, w- they would fit. I can't imagine that they changed like the pitch of the threads or the diameter of the the screws. But at the same time, I could be totally wrong there because there's been so many iterations of Stanley model planes over the years mm-hmm. that it's hard to say. Um what you really need is if you have one of the screws, what you need is some sort of website that would allow you to take a picture of it and it would tell you how to order replacement parts. <laughs> or yeah. If only there were such a thing. Yeah. <laughs> I, I mean, I, I, did he say if he has the screws or he needs screws or what? I mean, because how well, expensive if he are had, some screws? But, but if he has them, don't you think he could have tested it? Yeah, I've, I've, God, I would hope so. Please tell me you did. <laughs> but before I call, uh, you know, before I actually we, test this, let me call Woodcock. So we've reached a new, I've tried nothing and all out of ideas. That's so. way worse than like, let me Google this for you uh, <laughs> <Right>. territory. <laughs> but, you know, the other thing you could do is, you know, go to, you know, pick your favorite big box store and, you know, grab the screws, bring your plane along, you know, and grab the bolts from there and try a couple out. You know, if if the couple of cents to a dollar to buy a couple of bolts is is too much for you then uh go try some out at the big box store they got lots of them yeah well worst case i mean if they don't want you dismantling these things or whatever you could just buy one and you know if you don't want to keep it and it doesn't work just return it no big deal yeah Uh, cool all right next question here is from john about power carving tools hey guys it's john wilson from sunny phoenix uh i'm getting ready to wrap up my cable project that I've been working on for a while and I'm looking at getting into something new, maybe something a little easier. And 
my wife and I were at a, a fair or something, and they had a bunch of carved bowls there. And I know Mark has talked about the Arbor Tech before and getting into powered wood carving. And I just wondered what your thoughts were on that for someone who's starting out. What blades? I already have an angle grinder, so should I? What blades do I need? Should I get? They have the industrial wood carver, they have the turbo plane, and then they have a smaller attachment with a smaller blade and sanding disc. So, what do I need to get into it? Um, and then, uh, for tips for holding the blank or any other tips for dust collection or just stuff that you wish you had known when you first started out wood carving. And then finally, uh, and probably most importantly, is where do you get blanks for this that don't cost an arm and a leg? Because everywhere I look, they have exotic burled blanks for a bazillion dollars. And basically, I just am looking to get into this and make a couple large and small bowls. So um, where do I get the wood or where you, what sources that are reasonable? Is there a particular types of wood that work best? Um does it have to be green or kiln-dried? So basically, uh, tell me everything about powered wood carving that you know so that uh, I can get into it and maybe crank out a couple bowls because I could use an easier, shorter project after my table. Thanks, guys, for all you do, and I look back to uh, hearing your response. Thanks. Cool. All right, let's talk about the wood first. Uh, the only thing I'll say about that is the joy of this type of thing is that just about any wood could work if it's the right size and you got this nice big chunk carve into that sucker and see what happens because worst case scenario you spend a couple hours and the thing just doesn't work out or later on it dries a little bit more or whatever it doesn't work out for you um so you know you can get this stuff from fallen trees as well you know so it doesn't practice on stuff that doesn't really matter before you even think about investing in anything that's a you know a prized uh, piece of material but aside from that i don't really purchase big blanks like that big turning blanks that might also suffice for a bowl like this, do you guys have any suggestions for resources? Now he's in my area, and I know where he's probably looking locally, and those prices are ridiculous. So it would have to be an online resource or someplace he could drive to. Um, when it comes to, I mean, I echo what you're saying. Go to your firewood pile first, or you know, go look for down trees or find a tree service or something and buy something there. Mm-hmm. Um, but once you do get to the point where you're looking for something a little bit nicer, and especially out. Well, it's not your way, but it's it's on the West Coast. Uh, Cook Woods up in Oregon, Klamath, Oregon, I believe, always has like great deals. Join their email list and you'll get emails with like great deals on cool exotics. And they often have them broken down into turning blank sizes, whether it be spindles or bowl type blanks. And generally, it's not costing an arm and a leg there because they're they're broken down into those sizes. Um, but it's also one of those things where you got to move quickly. Like mm-hmm. when the email comes out, uh, they sell a lot of stuff relatively quickly. So Cookwoods has always been a good resource for me for buying um, really interesting bowl type blanks. Okay, cool. Uh, Matt, what about you? I mean, you're in an area where you could just, you know, the stuff you've got the equipment to make your own. So it's a little unfair. <laughs> yeah, like basically the same thing as Shannon said. If you have anywhere that trees come down, you live somewhere where trees grow, uh, look on Craigslist or call, <laughs> you know, a uh, tree service. In your Is he making fun of me? <laughs> well, yes. Actually, that was directly pointed to you, Mark. Uh, <laughs> uh, not the cactuses down there. Um, right. So, yeah, if you can find any trees nearby that some might be cutting down, people are always cutting down trees for whatever reason. So, you don't need a whole chunk of, big chunk of wood or a whole log for doing a little carving exercise on. 
Um, so Craigslist, tree services, um, listen for chainsaws in your neighborhood. Those are all effective. If you want a little more selection on species, back when I was buying blanks for turning, uh, eBay was a pretty decent option mm, for that. Yeah. Good, good thinking. Good answer. I used to do that. I forgot about that. Yeah. Cool. All right, so equipment-wise, he's talking about the ArborTech line of tools, and they've got quite a few options there. Um, you know, there's a lot of uh, personal preference with this type of thing, so I'll just give you some some basics here. The turboplane, I find to be a little bit more, it offers more finesse, and you can get a smoother cut with it as well as approach the work in slightly different angles to get the, the tool to cut a little bit more aggressive or less aggressive depending on your needs. Uh, definitely a learning curve with that, but it's pretty darn effective. I find it to be fairly um, I would say almost in all respects, an improvement over the industrial wood carver. Now, the industrial is uh, just a hot knife through butter um, that is going to remove a lot of material in a hurry, but it also leaves a fairly rough surface when you're done. Turboplane can also remove a lot of material in a hurry, but not quite as much, but you get the advantage of a wider range of like smoothness that you can apply so that you don't have as much sanding and surfacing to do after the carving is done. Um, so I would probably push you toward the turboplane personally. They've got a bunch of other things like the contour random sander. That's a nice tool for sanding the inside of that bowl. There's the mini turbo, which is a great way if you want to do less aggressive grinding, you could use sandpaper to do that grinding. Now, aside from the ArborTech line, take a look at King Arthur tools and the like. There are plenty of, uh, you know, tungsten carbide things you could put on your grinder that would work great. But I, I like theirs in particular because they've got a cool design where they have holes in it that allows you to continue to see the work as you're actually um, uh, doing the carving. And they've got everything from like this new uh, round extreme course, they call it. And uh, they say it's 15 to 20% faster than their previous uh, most coarse one that they've got. So, and that's basically now think about taking really aggressive sandpaper or more accurately like a rasp or circular shaped rasp that's just really hogging that material out. I find those easier to control um, without a doubt. I think you can pick up the tool and start doing the work more confidently with that quicker than you could with one of the blade solutions. Uh, those tend to be a little bit more scary, right? So just depending on what you're looking to do, you, you got to get your hands on these tools and it, your personal preferences will come out. Um, and sometimes it's about speed. Sometimes it's about finesse and you need to know what each one of these do. Uh, and, and what I like may not necessarily be what you like, but definitely take a look at King Arthur, consider some of their stuff too. Uh, all right, so that's it. Good luck with the power carving. Be careful. <laughs> you got to keep. You really got to keep your wits about you with that stuff. Um, didn't he ask about securing the work? I think he did. I, I've never really had to worry about that uh, securing a. You know, you think of bowl blanks, you think of the lathe. So you know, security is sort of built into the process. But if you're carving this thing, um, you're probably going to have to come out with some way to 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 hold this thing in a safe way, and it's not really a uniform, regular piece of material. Uh, so I don't eat offhand, don't exactly know exactly how I would do that. Hmm. I mean, I think it may come down to a process thing where if you use like a, you know, carver screw or something, you could at least get it held while you carve like the outer shape. But then when you flip it over, um, then you, you're running into issues where, I don't know. I mean, something like that, I would stick it in my leg vise because I've got huge capacity in my leg vise. Yeah, right. But not yeah. everyone may have that. The expensive solution? Have you ever seen um, Festool's vacuum system? Yeah, there you go. <laughs> I look at that thing and I go, what in the hell? What's that for? Who, who, who's going to use that? Yes. And uh, I, now we just found out. John, there you go, man. It is for incurring YouTube ire. Oh. <laughs> yes. yes. Throw that in a video and watch the comments fly. Watch it happen. <laughs> Very nice. All right. Hope that helps you out, John. And uh, thanks, Paul, as well for the voicemail. 
Hey, I just wanted to throw something in here before we move mm-hmm. too, far, too far away of this. As evidence that Carmona wasn't paying attention, uh, he came up with a link to some Stanley plane screws. It's actually posed from Lumberjocks. So uh, who was it? Paul that asked that question <laughs> on voicemail. I'm going to drop a link in the show notes that actually has a breakdown of different sizes of screws based upon the Stanley year model. Hmm. That is a hell of a lot more helpful than what I just said. So Nice. Click on that link. And thanks for not paying attention, Matt. Well done, Matt. <laughs> Let me Google that for you. <laughs> <laughs> All right, cool. Uh, let's get into our email then. First one here is from Otto. He says, Mark, you got me started on cutting boards. I'm being asked for juice grooves in both my face and end grain cutting boards. What's the best way to do this? Well, I can only really think of two reasonable ways to do it. One would be to use like a core box bit and maybe a edge guide of some sort so that you can go around the perimeter of your board and that puts you in a position where you do have to stop short of the corners, right? Because once you get to that corner, there's nothing, you know, you're losing support, first of all, uh, but there's really no way you can make that corner turn properly if you're using an edge guide. So that's not my favorite way to do it. I would say your best option is to make a simple square template from plywood or something, any sheet good, uh, plop that sucker right down in the middle and you have to do a little bit of math here because you want to use a guide bushing to control the movement around. You could use the same type of core box bit and this way you just kind of plunge down into the work. The key though is you just got to keep that router up against that template. A little double stick tape will probably do you just fine in terms of securing it to your cutting board. But if you are even slightly nervous about it, you really need to be careful because you don't want to walk away from the template. That will just be, uh, that's a, that's a bad day. Um, oh yeah. <laughs> right. It's a little bit scary. I know. Uh, is that the, well, I didn't see the video yet, Matt, but the, is that the technique you Basically, used? Yes. Okay. Yeah. Cause yeah. Matt did yeah. a, a perimeter inlay on the top of his walnut sofa table. Um, and when you're going around those corners, it's like you got to have an inside template. If you try to go from the outside, you're just going to have to stop short and maybe use chisels or something or carving tools to, to, to simulate this juice groove, which is a pain in the butt. So yeah, a template in the middle, be very careful, be consistent, especially with that end grain. You really have to be confident because if you go too slow, you just get horrible, horrible burning. Mm-hmm. And then you got to sand that crap out and it's just a nightmare. So you have to go move consistently and then wrap your way around the corner. It's inevitable. You're going to get burning in those corners because you're going to slow down. Uh, but that's at least one, you know, you have four of those to clean up. The rest of it should go pretty well. But again, stay on top of your template and hold your, uh, hold your template, the router toward the template. And that's probably at least, unless you got a CNC machine, that's kind of the only way that I can imagine to do this. You know, I have a cutting board. It's actually like a cheese board. It's a little thing um, <clears throat> made the same way, like, you know, piece together the checkerboard looking thing. Mm-hmm. And I had to route a groove in it to hold a glass globe that I bought from one of those like wood turning supply houses or whatever, just a circular globe mm-hmm. that went over top of it. And um, I made a bunch of them. This is back in my craft show days. And yeah, I just like put that double stick template in and just kind of ran around the outside of it and didn't realize that I would like drifted <laughs> off the line like three or four times. <laughs> so needless to say, one of those cutting boards is a little bit thinner than the other. <laughs> <laughs> nice. Got to do what you got to do. Yeah. I think to make matters worse, I took that ingrained cutting board and ran it through the thickness planer too, which I learned later was a bad idea. Yeah. You get away with it sometimes, but yeah, other times it could bite you. Yeah. Cool. All right, Matt. This one here is from George. Said, first off, I'd like to thank all four of the Wood Talk hosts, Mark, Shannon, and the Matt Squared, <laughs> for your excellent content you all put together. My question is, benched up mortises are, mortisers, are they worth it? Can they be set up quickly enough that it's worth the setup time to make two to four mortises, or do you really need to use them when you have, say, eight or more to cut? As a fellow father of a toddler and an infant, 
Shop time has become a real premium. Thanks in advance for your time and consideration. Um, I guess it honestly depends on the mortiser you have. The one I have is the Powermatic Benchtop mortiser. It has a um, it's like a rack and pinion fence, so that that the distance for the the mortise to be off the off the uh, face of the piece is really easy to set up that way. Um, and honestly, I really don't change chisels too often in the mortiser either, so it is really quick to set up for me at least. Um, and that mortiser itself has a really quick way to set the chisels up as well for the the depth or the protrusion of the auger past the chisel or the square chisel thing. Mm-hmm. Um, I think it's not that bad. If you're, I mean, if you're really like considered about concerned about time, and that's your main consideration is the, how much time you have in your shop and the fastest way to build things. Probably going to want to look at the Domino <laughs> as a, yeah. a serious option for this. But <clears throat> if that's outside your price range and you want to go the more traditional. That's traditional mortiser route. Um, I don't think of that bad unless you're doing unless you're seriously doing the the drill press mortiser changeover thing where you have that stupid thing that changes your drill press um, into a mortiser. Yeah, <laughs> that takes forever to set up, and it's not worth it at all. Yeah, yeah <laughs> I know. Uh, Matt Vernalist had one of those. Yep. And he did nothing but complain about it. Yeah, <laughs> I used to use that one of those when I first started. It took like an hour to set up the mor- just to set it up. Yeah. Well, like, and, oh, I got to drill a hole. Oh, crap. Yeah, those, are, <laughs> those kind of suck. Um, you know, the other thing to watch out for, just generally speaking, is the quality of these benchtop units. There's a pretty wide range. Um, yeah. And not, you know, not to just pump Powermatic, but they're, you know, they make a good one. Um, there's other companies that make good ones, too. You just look at the prices because those cheaper ones generally are made with cheaper parts. Uh, I had an ex- inexpensive one that I started out with. And on a project, I was doing some white oak on it, which, you know, is asking a lot of a hollow chisel mortiser. But if it's sharp, it should be able to do it. And the, um, you know, the handle, as I'm pulling down, I was able to, you know, you, you get a long handle. You could, it's a lot of leverage. You could put a lot of pressure down. And one of the, like, ball and socket joint things that holds the, I don't know what the thing is. It's like the, the what do you call that little squishy metal thing? Is that called the strut? What is that called? You what don't the, talk about the gas spring. The, that, the, yeah, the that thing. thing. Oh, okay. Squishy, the metal. squishy like, metal thing. I had no idea what you were talking about. It goes. I it goes. That squishes at all. Yeah, it goes squish, <laughs> squish. Right. Okay. Anyway, that thing. Uh, it just busted on me because it was kind of like uh, just cheap plastic. And so the thing just didn't work anymore uh, or was a huge pain in the butt to use. So you just, if you can try to get one of the nicer ones because the benchtop models, like any tool, the benchtop models tend to also dip into the lower budget range as well. So when, when you think about the amount of pressure you need to put, you're, you're physically driving a four-sided chisel down into the wood and granted the bits spinning to remove the middle, but you're still removing a lot of wood just by the force of your arm, right? So you've got to have a system that can actually withstand that pressure. And the hold down, especially on these benchtop models, because the the floor models, you actually clamp the workpiece in place and you've got rack and pinning to be able to move it side to side and up and down and everything. These benchtop ones, you set the workpiece in and there's just like a, 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 I don't know, you can't even call it a clamp, just like this right angle piece of steel that when the board pushes up, it kind of kinks in the in the socket and it won't come away. But on some of the crappier ones that hold down does not hold the board down so once you plunge the chisel in when you try to pull it out it's taking the board up with it and then you're holding the board and it ends up being not it's not that big of a deal but it's a massive time waster there's a lot of friction there and you can get one of the worst sounds your shop can ever produce Uh, yeah yeah that high-pitched squeal of that bit rubbing against the inside of that chisel is something awful yeah 
It's like listening to a small dog yell at at my door right now. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) All right. All right. This uh, last question here comes from Oscar. He says, I have the DeWalt DW735. My very first time using it was several years ago making a poker table for a buddy. I tried planing two by fours and the rollers won't pull them through. I wasn't sure what was going on. I just gave up and used the lumber as is. It wasn't pretty, but my buddy was going for a rustic look anyway and was fine with the result. Excellent. <laughs> um, uh, this time, I'm making a frame for, for a painting and ended up pushing and pulling the lumber through. There were a few times when the rollers did not pull like it's supposed to, but few and far between. I've heard that pine is too soft for the planer to properly process it. I've also heard that pine is too gummy. What are your thoughts? Is pushing pulling a viable way to plane pine? Um, I always want to know when people say stuff like this. Where are you hearing this from? <laughs> Who told you this? Lumberjocks. Is, is it just, quote, <laughs> they that said that? Or I, I never know. Um, the internet. But the rollers on a planer will engage any wood that you stick into it. Um, it doesn't really make a difference what species of lumber you're using, but what you may be running into, and I've used that same planer for many, many years, and I would sometimes have trouble with it uh, grabbing or pulling something through, or it was going suddenly really, really slowly, or it just it took a lot of effort and ended up having to push it or pull it through. Wax the table. Put a little bit of wax on the table, and you will be surprised how easily things go through there. Um, there may be something wrong with your rollers, but I highly doubt it because of the fact that they're not really adjustable on the DW735. It's not one of those things that you're in there tweaking and adjusting. There is no adjustment point for those rollers on that planer. Um, so if there's something wrong with it, it's something wrong with it from the factory. Um, what I would recommend, and he doesn't actually say in here if he's like run any other species through it. Um, the fact that he thinks it's the pine tells me that maybe he's run another, maybe a hardwood through it and it's worked just fine. Um, the, the lumber is not compressing that much. So that is something you have to worry about. The other thing you may be looking at is maybe you're just taking too heavy of a cut. Um, I don't think there's necessarily anything wrong with pushing or pulling the lumber through, but you shouldn't have to. And the w- worry with pushing it or pulling it is that you exceed the feed rate um, and you could end up really messing up your lumber because um, it's moving at a certain speed and you try to push it through. It's like trying to take too heavy a cut on a table saw. And you could really burn it or tear it out or something like that. Um, The reason you may be running into this and why waxing the table may help is because of what he just said, that sometimes I've heard that pine is too gummy. Uh, It may have a lot of resins. It may want to stick to the table a little bit more than something else. So grab yourself some paste wax, and I'd be willing to bet that that would fix your problem. Can I offer three other possible solutions? Yes, I used to, do. used to have one of those, actually, if you can believe it. Um, solutions or? Yes, I used to have some solutions. <laughs> These days, not so much. Um, okay, so a couple different things. We don't know for sure what the condition of the blades are. So it could be something where the dull blades could be uh, causing a lot more friction, a lot more difficulty pushing it through. Another thing is temperature. Uh, this time of year, depending on where he is, if it's really cold, rubber rollers don't work as well in, in cold weather. So, See, I've heard that too, but I never had that experience. Never a problem for yours? I mean, no, I, and I just wonder if it's, you know, how cold is it? You know, is it, right. is it Cremona cold or is it me cold? <laughs> Cremona <You> cold. <laughs> that is cold, my friends. It's cold. Uh, yeah, so then that, that's a possibility, just something to think about. Um, and then also cleaning the rollers themselves. 
Uh, I'm not sure exactly what you would want to clean them with mineral spirits or alcohol or something just to, cause if they get really dusty and dirty, think about it, dust between rubber and the wood is going to make it a little bit less friction. So you want it to be nice and clean so it can really grip and uh, pull that piece through. So I think add those three things as at least things to try and check and see if that improves the results. I've got one more for you. Is I it cr- Cremona cold online the other day? Yes. It's very interesting. So, <laughs> I didn't. I've never seen this before until like literally. I think it was the last week. I saw a picture someone posted of the gearbox on this thing, and the gear had actually broken. Mm. So if it's not pulling anything through, maybe your rollers aren't actually turning. Oh, good question. Good point. Well, let so, me add another one then. Maybe oh he didn't turn it on. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, if, we're, if, we're going, first. if we're going this far, let's just go for it. <laughs> Is it plugged in? You know, these are reasonable things to check. Is it even a planer? <laughs> yeah, are, are, are you, think, are you shoving it through a, a table saw? And <laughs> you, okay. Anyway, if you want to support right, this, Oscar, we're terribly sorry. Yeah. We've insulted you on many levels. Yeah, we're not really show. making fun of you. We're kind of making fun of ourselves <laughs> at this point. Uh, yeah. Good you stuff. Know, we joke, but I've done that. Like, why won't this turn on? Oh, crap. It's not plugged. <laughs> One of the reasons I went unplugged because I just can't trust myself around power. Just makes it easier for stuff. you. <laughs> yeah. Nice. All right. Well, if you want to support the show, you can <laughs> head to woodtalkshow.com. Look in the side column for those recurring donations. Set up a one-time donation, a small recurring donation, and we appreciate whatever you could do to help us out. Wood Talk t-shirts can be purchased at the Wood Whisperer store, twwstore.com. And if you want, something very simple you could do is leave us a review in the iTunes store. And uh, quite a few people have done this recently, so I'm going to try to remember everybody. Uh, who was John Galt? Uh, the Banking Carpenter, Smam, what is Sman? That's weird. P4K, Dean's Woodworking, DM Carter, 2110, uh, Quick Enough, Zach Wirt, and Mike Mursky. Thank you so much, everybody. They all gave us five-star reviews, which is great. Uh, here's what Mike said. Been a long-time listener and finally found my way onto this ratings and reviews page. I hear so much about this prod, uh, podcast is awesome. If you like to build stuff out of wood or even just hear people talking about making things out of wood, then this is the podcast for you. Thanks for the information and entertainment on my drive to and from work. Keep up the great job, guys. Oh, and someone needs to draw up the three of you guys combined as one hell of a woodworker. Uh, that would be, he'd be this tall, monstrous, hairy, long-haired, half-hippie, uh, like, oh, that would be scary. But he'd be a good woodworker. So, you know, we got that going for us. Well, even that's debatable. Potentially, oh. yes, yes. Uh, all right, so that's that. Shannon, you want to give them the contact info and we'll get out of here. I can do that. I know how to do that, I think. You should. As as I it's highlighted in blue. Notes. You can't miss it. Okay, well, if you have comments, questions, or topic suggestions, there are many, many ways you can contact us. Many, many, many ways. <laughs> having a police academy yeah many many (laughs) uh leave a voicemail on skype our username is wood talk online call our voicemail line at 623-242-5180 or use our fancy contact form at woodtalkshow.com slash contact or you can leave us a comment on our wood talk facebook page and finally if you're looking for the show notes or downloads from today's show or any previous episodes you can find them at woodtalkshow.com go figure so convenient don't forget we all have individual websites they're fabulous at thewoodwhisperer.com renaissancewoodworker.com and mattcremona.com I'll leave it to you to figure out which one belongs to whom Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. it's very very difficult All right. well thanks for listening everybody and we will catch you next time see you bye 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 planning for your next trip elevate your travel style with quince 
Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50% to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns.